0: Welcome to Parker's Podcast. Our service includes modern style worship and an on-time message from God's Word by Dr. Mac Amos. This week's guest speaker is Reverend Gary Cornelius. Let me ask
1: you a question this morning. It's a loaded question. Um, Have you ever been discouraged? Raise your hand if you've ever been discouraged. All right. I'm going to change the message. We're going to preach on lying this morning because I know most of you are not telling the truth. Have you ever been discouraged? We've all gone through that. I want to put something up on the screen. I stepped on the scales this morning, and this is what happened. I said, please use social distancing one person at a time. you had that happen? I don't know about you guys, but during this quarantine time, I noticed that there was something happening. Our pantry was getting full and then empty, full and then empty, and my shirts were getting tighter and tighter. Okay, so here's the question this morning though, in in, in seriousness, in our world that we're living in right now, I keep hearing people talk about the things that are happening and how they're discouraged. And as I began to pray about this message this morning and asking God to show me where we should go and what we should be looking at from his word, God kept bringing me back to, to something very important It's found in 1 Kings chapter 19. I want you to go ahead and turn there. But here's the title this morning. How can we defeat discouragement? I want to talk about defeating discouragement. And I want us to look at a story this morning of a guy that maybe we're familiar with. His name is Elijah. And let me give you the background before I read the scripture here. Here's what's going on with Elijah. Elijah had just had a big showdown. Because in the nation of Israel, they had turned away from God. And most of the Israelites were worshiping the god, little g, of Baal. They were worshiping an idol. In fact, the king and the queen, Ahab and Jezebel, were worshiping Baal. In fact, they had prophets. They had over 450 prophets of Baal that would lead people worshiping this false idol, this false god. And Elijah was one of the few, at least at the point, he thought he was the only prophet of God still left. But there was a confrontation that took place. Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal to a showdown. They built big altars. They brought everybody from Israel out to see the showdown, and and they built these altars. And the challenge was this. We're going to see who the real God is. The real God is going to send fire down from heaven and burn up the altars, the sacrifice and the altars. Well, the prophets of Baal came out and they did their thing and nothing happened. Then Elijah stood up and he called on God to bring down fire from heaven after he had poured water all over the altars just to prove how powerful God is. And God sent fire down from heaven and he burned up the altars, all the water and everything. And the people realized that God was real. There was revival beginning to take place. And then something happened. This lady named Jezebel found out what had happened. And Jezebel sent the word to Elijah and said, hey dude, here's the deal. This time tomorrow, I'm gonna make sure you suffer The same consequences that my prophets just suffered under you. Those 450 prophets of Baal were killed under God's guidance. He told the prophets of God to get rid of the false idols, to get rid of the false prophets. And they had done that. And there was victory and there was a revival beginning. But when that word came to Elijah, something happened. Elijah got scared. And he realized that his life was literally on the line and he ran for his life. And as we pick up the story, here's what's happening. Elijah has run out into the wilderness and he sat down under a juniper tree and he said, God, just go ahead and take my life. I am ready to die. It is not worth it. He was so scared and so discouraged and so frustrated that he was ready to die. I want you to look with me In verse 9, because what happened here is God sent an angel to take care of him and give him food. And then Elijah got up after he had had enough to eat, and he went to Mount Horeb. God had a message for him. 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 9, it says, Then he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah. He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So God said, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking into pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle, blowing wind. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle. and went out and he stood before the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 14. Then he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant and torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. The Lord said to him in verse 15, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Haziel, king over Aram. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, abel mehola you shall anoint as prophet in your place. Verse 17 says, It shall shall come about, the one who escaped from the sword of Haziel, Jehu shall put to death. And the one who escaped from the sword of Jehu, Elijah shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. See, guys, here's the deal. Elijah was discouraged. Elijah was afraid. Elijah was running for his life. And as I was preparing for this message, the more I studied, the more I began to realize how this message and how this story in God's Word parallels to where we are today. Because we see in our whole world, people are literally scared for their lives, people are afraid, people are discouraged, people are frustrated, people are confused. And too many times we think in God's word that that all of his servants and all of his leaders, everything went smooth. But as we look at the life of Elijah, one of the great men of God, we see that he was struggling with the very same things that we struggle with today. So I want to draw the parallels and I want us to look at the plan that God laid out for Elijah and how if we apply it today, we can defeat discouragement. I want you to notice, first of all, in verses 11 and 12, what happened. God sent a great wind, he sent an earthquake, and he sent a fire. But the Bible says that God was not in any of those. It was the gentle blowing wind. And that's when Elijah came out from his cave, okay? Elijah was hiding. Elijah had given up. But he knew that God was trying to say something, and he walked out from that cave and God gave him a plan. And I want us to look at that very good well this morning. I want us to understand how it applies to us. Look in verse 15, and you will see the first part of this plan. He says, Elijah, I want you to get up and go back the way you came. The first part of the plan is God tells us when we are discouraged, he wants us to retrace our steps. He wants us to retrace our steps. He told Elijah, I want you to go back. I want you to go back the way I started you out. You see, Elijah had strayed away. Elijah had gotten scared. Notice in verse 13, the second time God asked the same question, what was it? Elijah, what are you doing here? Now, do you think for a second that God didn't know why Elijah was there? God already knew. That was not really the question that he was asking Elijah. What he was really asking was, Elijah, what are you doing so far away from the path and the plan that I called you to be on? Now, I want you to notice Elijah's answers. God, I've been so zealous for you, but God, I'm the only one left. You ever been on a pity party when you get discouraged? You ever felt sorry for yourself? See, here's the thing. I hear a lot of people, and I'm guilty of it too, in the last few months, we've all had a pity party. We've all told God how bad it is and how we don't understand, and I can't stand here this morning and tell you that I can explain everything that's going on, but I can tell you that every one of us have felt the same way. We've been discouraged. Sometimes we don't have answers, but too many times we do exactly what Elijah did here. Hey, God, let me point out, here's the deal. God, look, I'm the only one left. You see, the sad part is, folks, today, I have seen and heard and have experienced firsthand a lot of Christians who say, hey, I'm giving up right now. I am going to stop everything. They are so scared. They're so frustrated. They're so discouraged. They have just stopped being a believer or acting like it at least. You see, Elijah was pointing out to God why he was doing what he was doing, and that was not what God was saying. He said, Elijah, I want you to retrace your steps. Now, there's two things that happen, and I want you to understand this. When we retrace the steps that God has called us to, there's two things that happen in our life. First of all, we're able to reflect on reality. Folks, the reality is we just got through singing about it. The reality is that every one of us are sinners. Every one of us decides too many times, too often, to go our own direction. And I believe that if we look around today, one of the things that concerns me the most, as the church, as the body of Christ, we have gotten off of the path that God has called us to be on. Revelation 2-4, Jesus talking to the church. Talks about all the good things they've done. He said, but I have this one thing against you, that you have left your first love. Let me ask you this morning. If you retrace the steps, if you're discouraged, if you're confused, if you're frustrated, if you're afraid, and you go back and retrace the steps, go back to the point in life where God was calling you to do something specific. Go back to your salvation experience if you know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and look at the road. Has there been a time when you've gotten off the path? Because I can tell you this much, the church in America, we have gotten off the path. We've gotten comfortable. Oh, we do a lot of things, but I am afraid that we have left our first love and that is Jesus. And when God calls us to retrace the steps, the reality is we have to look inward. I want you to notice this. When he talked to Elijah here, he didn't deal with the issue in the beginning. He dealt with Elijah. And in our lives, you know, that's the way God does. I've noticed in my life when I have that pity party or I feel discouraged or I've got these things going on, God deals with me first. It's not necessarily comfortable all the time. But that's what he did with Elijah, and that's what he's going to do with us. He wants us to reflect on the reality and understand where we are. Isaiah 53, 6. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. Why do I read that? Because, folks, we cannot forget the fact that if it were not for God's grace, all of us would be helpless, hopeless, and lost. And the reason that God told Elijah to retrace his steps is he wanted Elijah to realize, Elijah, these things you're saying you're doing for me, don't forget who you are. God doesn't need us. He loves us. He wants us. But I am not going to be able to convince God that he needs me. God wants me. God will use me. But I have to face the reality that my sin gets in the way a lot of times of following God. My fear, my discouragement, whatever it may be, can stop me from being the person that God wants me to be. But remember, I told you there were two parts to this. Retrace your steps, he says, and that allows us to reflect on the reality, but it also allows us to remember our call. Notice what he says in verse 14. And he talks about... Later on in the verse, he says, Elijah, I want you to go on your way. I want you to go back in the wilderness. And when you've arrived, you shall anoint. That's in verse 15. He says, Elijah, I want you to remember what I called you to do in the very beginning. I want you to go back where it started. And as I said earlier, have you ever thought about going back to where it started? Has there ever been a time that you have been so excited and so on fire for God that you are willing to tell anybody, anywhere, anytime what Jesus has done in your life. Now, if the answer is no, then we need to talk because I'm going to tell you something. When we realize that Jesus died for our sins, rose again from the dead, and that we do not have to spend eternity separated from God in hell, if you can't get excited about that, then you don't know Jesus. That's just the bottom line. And what he's telling Elijah here is, listen, I want you to understand what I have called you to do. What were you doing before, Elijah? Where were you? He says, what what are you doing here? When is the last time that you can go back in your life, and maybe it's today, and say, I've been obedient. I've been following God. Because when we remember our call, then God can get rid of the discouragement. When we go back and look at what God has done in our life, then we can begin to work through and overcome the obstacles that so often come. He said in verse 14, he said, God, I've been zealous for you. I don't know about you, but there's too many times where I can't say that to God. We need to be zealous for God. We need to be able to look back and see that. Galatians 5.13 says this, For you were called to freedom... Brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Well, I don't know what God's called me to do. He just said it right there. If you know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we're to love others, to serve one another. We don't have a choice. That's what he's called us to do. And that's what I'm pointing out. When God says he wants us to retrace our steps, and to reflect on reality and remember our call, what he's trying to point out is, are we doing what we're supposed to be doing from the very beginning? Are we where we're supposed to be? Think of the question. What did he say to Elijah? What are you doing here? Elijah was not where he was supposed to be. God's Word makes it very clear. But here's the question that we have to answer this morning. God's Word says... Matthew 4, 4, when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, Satan was tempting him and he said, Satan, man shall not live by bread alone, but what? By every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We have God's word to live by, but the question is, do we really believe it? Do we really believe that this is God's word or is this just a book? Is this just full of stories? Is this just something that, You know, we can read at bedtime or read when things get really bad to make us feel better. This is either God's Word or it's not. And if it is God's Word, we better make sure that we're living by that. Because you see, the second part of this is, he told Elijah to retrace his steps. And once you are willing to do that, if you are going to defeat discouragement, then you have to move to the second part of God's plan. And it's tough. But he says, not only do I want you to retrace your steps so that you you can can understand the reality and you can understand your call so you can reflect on the reality and you remember your call. Secondly, he says, Elijah, I want you to re-engage in battle. Oh, battle? (laughs) I didn't sign up for that. Yeah. In case you hadn't noticed it, we're in a battle today. We need to wake up and realize that there is a battle going on. And you're either on one side or the other. There is no in-between. Elijah saw what was happening when he faced, when he faced the prophets of Baal, the 450-plus prophets. He took it as an insult that they were willing to put down his God. Have you noticed in our world today that God doesn't seem to be in the forefront of anything anymore? Have you noticed that people sort of brush it aside? God's not real. It's not applicable today. Because we have knowledge. We have technology. We don't have to have God anymore, right? We are God, right? That's the same old lie that started in the garden when Satan himself said, huh, God really didn't say that. You'll be like God. And that is the same struggle that we face today. He says, Elijah, I want you to re-engage in battle. Look at verse 17. Look at verse 17 there. He says, it shall come about the one who escapes the sword of Haziel Jehu shall put to death. And the one who escapes Jehu, Elijah put to, Elisha shall put to death. He makes it clear. We're not through. The battle's not over. And Elijah understood that. And God wanted him to no longer be discouraged. He wanted him to get back in the battle. But, folks, if we're going to re engage in battle, there's two things we need to understand. First of all, we are in a fight, listen to me, we're in a fight for people. Not with people, for people. I look around today and I see isolation, people are by themselves. We treat people like they are contagious. We, we treat people like we can't be around them. And I understand the health part of it. But I am telling you today, if we're not careful, we're going to lose people because we've forgotten that relationships are still number one to God. God has not changed that. God still loves people more than anything else. And God's not scared of a virus. He's not scared of protests. He's not scared of another government. God is still God. And we need to understand that. But see, what's happening is we withdraw. We say, God, I I don't know. I can't do this. Listen, relationships are crucial. Go back and Do the studies yourself. Check it out. Suicide, astronomical, going through the roof. Depression, the same way. Loneliness, the same way. We're being told today stay away from each other. Don't be around each other too long. Keep your distance. Treat people like they're contagious and stay away. And again, I understand it, but we have to be creative and figure out a way to take care of people because if we don't, we're going to lose them. And Jesus died for everyone. Every single person is important. You don't believe that's real? Two weeks ago, I got a phone call from a teenager who, thank God, was unsuccessful in a suicide attempt. Terrible family situation. Things were bad. And this young person felt like their world was just falling apart and it was so bad that life wasn't worth living. Same thing Elijah faced. I don't want to live. I had a family come see me a couple of weeks ago. Their marriage is falling apart and they don't know what to do. And if we don't take care of people like that and figure out ways to reach them, and I'm not saying it's easy. Sometimes you ask brother Mike, you ask the staff, it's hard. We can't do the things we normally can. We can't go to hospitals. We can't do a lot of things. We have got to work together to find out ways to keep relationships most important. Just yesterday, just yesterday, one of our church family lost a spouse to suicide. They felt like their life was just not worth living anymore. And folks, I'm telling you, that is the crisis that we're facing. Not all of these other things that are going on. We are going to have to fight for people, not with them. I see it happening too much, and I'll be honest with you, I get frustrated with it too. And sometimes we take it out on each other. Anybody ever done that? You ever gotten frustrated at people that you really care about? I see even within the church and within the lives of believers that we start fighting with each other. And that's not what's supposed to happen. And we have to take a step back and say, wait a minute. I'm supposed to be in a fight for people. A secular article that I came across the other day was talking about the suicide epidemic. That was their word, not mine. One of the major causes, loss of community and religious contact. Been a little different around here, hasn't it? Can't get together like we used to. So we're going to have to fight for people. We're going to have to figure it out. I can tell you this much. I can speak for the staff. We're not going to fuss at anybody if our phones start ringing off the hook. Hey, got an idea of how we can do something more effective. I found a way that we can still reach some people and still be safe. I would love those phone calls. Okay? That's a hint. Write that one down. But here's the deal. We've got to be in a fight for people. Some of you sitting in this room know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been there. We have got to fight for people. There was a little boy, four years old. His name was Dylan. And he was the youngest of four siblings. And his family had a swimming pool. And all the older siblings would jump off the diving board. Every day during the summer, they're out there swimming, but not Dylan. He was scared. And one afternoon, they had a Birthday party for Dylan and one of their neighbors. His name was Daniel. Daniel was 95 years old, had served in World War II and the Korean War. He came over to visit, walking with his cane. And as he was sitting there, he heard the siblings making fun of and trying to entice Dylan to jump off the diving board. He would have no part of it. So Daniel went home, changed into his bathing suit, came back with his cane. Walked up to the diving board, put the cane down, got on the diving board, and before he jumped in, said, Hey, Dylan, this one's for you. And he jumped in. And he said, I had not been on that diving board in 50 years. I was scared to death, but I knew that I had to do it. About one minute later, guess who jumped in the swimming pool? Little Dylan. See, that's a picture of how we're going to have to be. We might have to do some things that we're not used to, that we've never done before, that we've not even thought of. But if we're in a fight for people, we're going to have to do that. Which brings me to the second part of this that we need to understand. If we are going to re-engage in battle, we've got to fight for people. We have to fight against the enemy. We have to fight the enemy. Ephesians six twelve, Paul spells it out so clearly. And if this is not what's going on today, then I'm not up here talking to you. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Listen to me. Satan is the enemy. He is the one out to steal, to kill, destroy. Satan wants us to run. Satan wants us to hide. Satan wants us to be scared and to be quiet. That's what he wants. If you want to get upset, you want to get angry, get angry at him. He took on God. Don't think for a second he won't take on you and me because he thought he was. And as we look at this story of Elijah, we need to understand that. Elijah had to understand what the real enemy was who is really fighting against God. He wants to keep us away, keep us apart. Listen, folks. We need to make sure, listen to me, we need to make sure that we are fighting harder, harder for eternal life than we are for this life. See, there are a lot of people in this world who don't know Jesus. And this is the only life they've got. We need to make sure we're telling them about Jesus. And they need to see that we're not scared of that because this life is not it. If you know Jesus, this life is not it. But do we really believe that? So look at this with Elijah. I'm reminded of the little boy. His name was Aaron. He went to a, a youth camp. His father was a pastor. And it was his first one. He was about fifth grade. And, you know, in the church camps, they don't tell ghost stories right at night. They tell stories at night about Satan and the demons Well, this particular camp, they did that. And the little boy came home, and his dad said every night, he'd go in there to turn out the light and tuck him in bed. Dad, don't turn out the light. Dad, will you stay here for a minute? And then one night, he said, Dad, will you pray for me to be safe? You know what his dad said to him? He said, no, son, I won't pray for you to be safe. I'm going to pray for you to be dangerous. So dangerous that when you walk in the room, the demons flee. That is how we need to fight the enemy. It's for God to give us the power to be able to do that. See, people are looking for answers. What kind of answers are we giving them? But here's the deal. We're in a battle. Elijah was discouraged. He was in a battle. Look at the last verse, verse 18. Yet I will leave no one else in Israel that has bowed to Baal or kissed the idol. Is that right? Any of you paying attention? Is that right? How many? 7,000. Wait a minute. Elijah said, God, I'm the only one here. I'm the only one. God said, by the way, Elijah, you're not by yourself. And I want to tell you this this morning. If you don't hear anything else, you are not by yourself. God's not going to leave you by yourself. He has given you the power through Jesus Christ to make an impact. But you are not by yourself. There are other people doing the very same thing. Satan the one who wants us to think we're alone. God says, no, you're never alone. Please understand that. As I look at this, I ask myself sometimes, is God still working? Well, I want to tell you he is. You're not going to hear about it on the news, but I want to show you something. In Minneapolis, where the George Floyd murder took place, a few weeks later, a pastor said he woke up one night, and God impressed on his heart that he needed to go to that location. Him and his wife picked up, and he went, and he started preaching. And people right now, today, are getting saved. They brought in a portable baptistry and are baptizing people that are getting saved right there on the spot that Satan meant for evil that God has turned around into something good. You're not going to hear about that. We have to start looking harder. You say, well, Gary, that's great, but you know what? It doesn't really happen around here. Oh, really? Just this year, we've had five teenagers accept Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And just a few weeks ago, our student minister, where's Kevin? Where are you at, Kevin? He's around. There he is, sitting in the corner. (laughs) Kevin decided he was not going to back down. He was going to have a camp anyway because he just felt that there were some students that really needed to hear God's Word. And we had students, some who were sitting in this room, that accepted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior right here in our little city. Yeah? You can clap. (laughs) Two weeks ago, I had a young adult come to talk to me about something completely off the map. And before we finished the conversation, that young adult, on their own, without me even saying anything, had prayed to receive Christ. God is still working today, even though the television and the media may tell us something different. God has not stopped. That's what he's telling Elijah. Elijah, you understand. You've got to re-engage in the battle. Fight for people. Fight the enemy. Roger Sims had served in the Korean War. And he had been discharged. It was time for him to come home. It was on May the 7th. And he was hitchhiking home. He was going to surprise his family. And as he was walking down the road, headed back towards a little town just outside of Chicago, he sticks his thumb out. And as this car got closer, it was a black Cadillac. And he knew... He knew this guy wasn't going to stop. But much to his surprise, the Cadillac pulled over. The door opened up, and he stuck his head in there. He said, hey, the driver said, hey, young man, you headed home? He said, yes, sir, I'm going to surprise my family. He said, well, I'm headed to Chicago. He said, well, I'm not quite going that far, but I'll go ahead and get in. So he gets in the car. Roger Sims starts talking and introduces himself. And the man, a man in his 50s, his name was Mr. Hanover. They began to talk and Mr. Hanover told him he was a businessman and had a successful, successful business in Chicago. And Roger began to talk to him and Roger just felt this prodding in his heart because Roger knew Jesus. He felt this prodding in his heart to talk to Mr. Hanover about Jesus, but he kept putting it off. And he said about 30 minutes away from his home, he realized he had no choice. He just had to talk to him. Nervously, but yet confidently, he shared Christ with Mr. Hanover. And he got down to the point where he asked Mr. Hanover if he wanted to ask Jesus in his heart. And he knew when he asked that question, he was probably getting ready to get thrown out of the car. Sure enough, as soon as he asked it, the car whipped over to the side. But instead of Mr. Hanover asking him to get out, Mr. Hanover, with tears rolling down his face, stopped and prayed to ask Jesus in his heart. And he looked at Roger and said, this is the best day of my life. They went on down the road. He let Roger out, took him to his house, and Mr. Hanover headed on to Chicago. Five years later, Roger, now married, had a two-year-old, had his own business, lived in Nashville, Tennessee. He had a business trip planned to Chicago. As he was packing his suitcase, he happened to come across the business card that Mr. Hanover had given him. And he thought, you know, I'm going to go to Chicago. I'm going to look up Mr. Hanover. He got to Chicago. He went to this building. It was a huge high-rise. He was like, wow, man, this guy was really, really successful. He went into the receptionist, and he asked to see Mr. Hanover, and she looked at him a little strange. She said, well, you won't be able to see Mr. Hanover, but his wife is here. So she took him to the office, and he was a little perplexed, and he, he sat down, and a few minutes later, Ms. Hanover walked out, and she introduced herself, and she said, You knew my husband? Roger said, yes, he gave me a ride home when I was discharged from the military. She looked at him puzzled and she said, did you talk about anything particular on the trip home? He began to get a little nervous because he wasn't sure what had happened. He told her a little bit, but didn't tell her everything. Finally, she said, was there anything significant that happened that day? So Roger broke down and said, yes, ma'am, Miss Hanover. That day, he accepted Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. She said, Do you remember when that was? He said, Yes, ma'am, I can remember exactly. It was on May the 7th. And she began to weep uncontrollably. And he knelt down in front of her and he said, What is wrong? Did something happen? What is wrong with Mr. Hanover? She looked at him and she said, He's dead. On May the 7th, coming home from a business trip, he was killed in a head-on collision. And she still began to weep. She said, I had been praying for years for my husband to know Christ. And I thought God had broken that promise that God had given up. And I stopped living for God five years ago on May the 7th because I was so angry because I thought God had given up. And she realized it was at that moment. It was at that moment she realized that God, as always, was right on time. And here's what I want to say to you this morning. I can't explain the world's situation. I'm not even going to attempt it. But I can tell you this. If you're discouraged this morning, He wants you to retrace your steps. And He wants you to re-engage in battle. Because my God is always On time. God still has a plan. He's not scared of a little virus. He's not scared of protests. He's not scared of a world government. He's not scared of all those things that we're unsure about. God is still in control. There's one verse I want to put up on the screen for us to think about as we close this morning. Paul says to the church... You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? Let me encourage you this morning. No matter where you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what is going on in your life, God has a plan for you. He's not giving up on you. Maybe you've walked away from God. He's calling you back. Maybe you don't have a relationship with him. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior. Well, guess what? You're here this morning. He knew you were going to be here. And he wants you to have the opportunity to be a part of his family. Here's the awesome thing about God, though. He never forces us to do anything. He asked Elijah the question, what are you doing here? I want us to think about that this morning. Where you are in your life, what are you doing there?
0: That concludes this week's message from Reverend Gary Cornelius. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com/sermon-series. Jesus said, "I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world."